you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 1. Let's read. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures and that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I don't pretend to have any abilities or any justification to teach what Paul would refer to as the most important thing. I don't have the abilities to teach what Paul would call the least important thing. I rely completely upon the Scriptures to do what the Scriptures do, to convict of sin, and to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ most notably through the gospel of grace. We come to you as a people that would be nothing and without anything if it weren't for the gospel of grace. We love you, Jesus. Be with us. I pray that you would do the work that you do for your glory in our church. Amen. We've got a lot to get to. Um, So, let's get started. Read with me in verse 1 again. Now, Paul says, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. There's four things I want us to see in that first opening half a sentence from Paul. The first thing is this word, now. Just the word, now. So, Paul, if you remember, when we first started preaching through 1 Corinthians almost a year ago, Paul began 1 Corinthians with the proclamation of the gospel. And up until this point, now where we find ourselves towards the end of the letter in chapter 15, Paul has covered a lot of topics from then till now. Topics of, you know, not to sue other believers, topics of church discipline, idolatry, principles for marriage, caring for widows, important, crucial issues like not having an inappropriate relationship with your mother-in-law or getting drunk on communion wine. We, speak, we spent eight weeks on the spiritual gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues and, and healing and how those should line up in the local church and how those gifts are operated appropriately to have a God-glorifying service that's not chaos. We've covered a lot of topics for a church that was a mess. But now as we approach the end of the letter, Paul says, now I want to remind you of the gospel. Paul, with that one letter, is a shift 
in his writing. And it transitions us or it refocuses us back away from these important but still secondary issues to the most important thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you to, when you read the words now, I want us to feel the shift in Paul's writing because it is just that. It's a shift in direction towards the end of the letter where he refocuses us back to the gospel. The second thing I want us to see is who is Paul speaking to when he says, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. He's speaking to the brothers. He's speaking to Christians. These are fellow believers. The Greek term here is the word aldaphi, which is a reference to family. So please understand this from the beginning of this sermon that Paul is reminding fellow Christians of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for those who don't know him. The gospel is not just how you become a Christian and then you move on to the bigger and better things and deeper things of doctrine and theology and cute topical messages about how to improve your life. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, and then you move on to the more important things of the Bible. As Tim Keller puts it, the gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is everything. Paul says as much when he says it right here in our text that this is as of first importance. The gospel is both how we become a Christian and through a better grasp of the depths and the beauty of the grace of God that we see through the gospel of Jesus Christ is also how we grow as a Christian. You never, never, ever, ever outgrow your need for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not ever. Don't ever think of the gospel if that's what you need to get saved and then you get strong in the Christian faith by moving on to bigger things of the Bible. Absolutely not. We come to God by the gospel. We kill the sin in our life by the grace of God that we find in the gospel. And we are strengthened and encouraged every single day by the gospel of Jesus Christ until we die. Paul is preaching the gospel to Christians. The third thing I want us to see is that what does Paul say about the gospel? He says, now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. Why is this important? Because there are many false gospels permeating our culture today. Paul says that we must believe in the gospel, but not just any gospel. We must believe in the gospel that he preached. There are a lot of false gospels out there, gospels centered around you and your health and your wealth and your prosperity, gospels centered around you and your performance and how well you are doing at any particular time. But Paul says we must believe the gospel that he preached. It's a true gospel that says, yes, 
You are important, so important, in fact, that the king of the universe came to lay down his life for you. But it's not really about you. It's much bigger than you and I or our present circumstances, however good or bad they may be. The gospel isn't about your glory or how well you are doing in life. The gospel has never been a message about us and what we must do. The gospel has always been a message about Jesus and what he has already done on our behalf. It is not sufficient to believe just any gospel. We must believe the true gospel of grace, the gospel that Paul preached according to the Scriptures. The last point I want us to make is to pay attention to this word, remind. When Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. Why does Paul wish to remind us of the gospel? Because we are so easily prone to forget We are so prone to fall backwards to believe that our good standing before God is based on how well I am doing. How I'm doing with my sin, how close I feel to God on any particular day. That's what determines how well I'm doing or how close I am to God. And not the solid, eternal, gospel foundation of the righteousness of Christ that is given to us freely through faith as a free gift from God. Which is why every single week at the journey you will get the gospel pounded between your ears because we so easily forget. We are not in the ministry of innovation. You'll never see a fog machine or laser beams here. You're worshiping in a pole barn that leaks when it rains. We are in the ministry of reminding Reminding you of the beauty of the unsearchable riches and joy that is found only in Jesus. The ministry of reminding you of the gospel week after week. Just like Paul is reminding the Corinth believers here. If Jordan preaches a sermon that is void of the beauty of Christ and the hope of the gospel, I know three elders that will have a meeting with him Monday morning. We won't fire him. He's got like eight kids to feed. Just rough him up. He'll walk with a limp for a little bit. We herald the truths of the Bible, of the gospel of grace that has been true long before we ever existed as a church and it will remain true long after we're gone. Paul here sets what is of first importance in the preaching of our church. Paul sets the agenda For us in the teaching of our church. The preaching of the gospel is the most important thing. Keep reading with me. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel that I preached to you. Which you received. That's past tense through faith in Jesus and the repentance of our sins. We receive the gospel. In which you stand, that's present tense, that we stand as Christians daily by believing the grace that is given to us through the gospel. And by which you are being saved, that's future grace to you. That you will remain a Christian 10, 20, 30 years from now. 
because of the future grace that's given to us through the gospel. If. Now this is the qualifier that Paul says. If. This is the condition. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. What was the word he preached to you that you must hold fast to in order to be saved so that we don't believe in vain? What is the word we must hold fast to? He just told us in verse 1, it's the gospel that I preached to you. We can have complete, total assurance of our salvation in Christ if we hold fast to the true gospel of grace proclaimed by Paul according to the scriptures. There is no one that has ever existed that will stand condemned for their sins while still holding fast to the true gospel of grace. But if we do not, if we believe in any other gospel other than what Paul preached, any gospel outside of the gospel proclaimed according to the scriptures, then Paul says very clearly that we have believed in vain. Paul wrote these words, unless you believed in vain, to a very troubled church that was a mess. And no doubt, Paul was concerned that some of them had never believed in the true gospel of grace. And hear me this morning, I love you guys. I'm concerned that some of you who may have come to church and been in church for a long time, like some of those in Corinth, have not believed in the true gospel of grace either. You have trusted in a gospel that's centered around you, that believes that there is a, there is a list of things that I have to stop doing. And there's another list of things that I have to start doing. And maybe if I do as little of these and more of these, then God can accept me. That is not the gospel according to the scriptures. That is not the gospel that Paul preached. If Paul is saying, and he is, unless you believe in the gospel that I preached then you have believed in vain and our eternal destiny hangs in the balance, then how do we know? How do we know that we have not believed in vain? The Bible says that we are to test our salvation with fear and trembling. It is no small matter. So I have a few questions for you to ponder in your heart. Do you love Jesus? Do you have affection for Jesus, for what he has done for you? That my sins that separate me from God and leave me with nothing but the assurance of condemnation and death for my sin and rebellion, that these sins have been dealt with at the cross. That Jesus on the cross absorbed my condemnation. That Jesus on the cross took my punishment. He absorbed the wrath of God for my sins so that I don't have to. Do you love Jesus? If you do, you have not believed in vain. Secondly, do you cling to the gospel of grace? Is your hope of salvation based on anything other than the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ? 
Or is your plea for mercy from God based on your own works? I went to church. I paid my taxes. I tried not to lie too much, drink too much, cuss too much. Tried to read my Bible. Or is your plea for mercy simply pointing to the cross? I deserve your anger. I deserve every bit of the wrath of God for my sin. But you already poured out your anger. You already poured out your wrath for my sin when you crushed your son. And I'm pointing to the cross and saying, I believe in Jesus. If your only hope for mercy is pointing to the cross, you have not believed in vain. Thirdly, do you have conviction of your sin? Do you feel the weight and the severity of your sin? This very anti-gospel idea that basically I deserve to go to heaven because I'm basically a good person. There is no room for this way of thinking when we look at the cross. We simply cannot in any way observe the bloody cross of Christ and walk away thinking that our sin is not a massive problem. Our sin must be dealt with. And it will either be dealt with at judgment leading to our death, or it will be dealt with at the death of Christ. There is no third option. Do you have conviction of your sin? If you do, then you have not believed in vain. Lastly, are you becoming more like Jesus? If you're anything like me, this is a slow and painful process. It's what the Bible refers to as sanctification, the process of killing the sin in your life and becoming more like Jesus. If you have deep affection for Christ, if your plea for mercy from God is pointing to the cross, if you feel deeply the gravity of your sin, and if you are becoming more like Jesus as slow as it may be, then rest, dear saint. Rest not in yourself. There is no peace there. But rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Rest in the gospel. You have not believed in vain. But if you have no affection for Christ... Your heart is not stirred when you hear the gospel. You see your sin is really not that big of a deal and you basically live like everyone else except you manage to come to church every once in a while. In love, I tell you, you believed in vain. You are not a Christian. You've put your faith in a non-gospel. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a famous pastor in London in the 20th century there was a lot of poverty and drunkenness in, in, in Wales in those days. And men would come to know Christ through the preaching of Dr. Jones, and they would turn in their whiskey bottles to him. It's reported that his basement, church basement was filled with whiskey bottles. His wife, the mother of his kids, a pastor's wife, was sitting under the teaching as a grown woman of her husband when she realized that she had never repented of her sins and come to faith in Jesus Christ. She was a good little Wales chapel girl that went to church constantly from the time she was walking. 
And she said, I wish I was a drunkard. At least then I would know I was reborn. She came to faith as an adult, a mother, and a pastor's wife, hearing her husband preach the gospel. Some of you, like Dr. Jones' wife, are good people. You've grown up in church. Examine your heart. Has there ever been genuine repentance of sin and faith in Jesus? This brings us to the most important point of all this morning. What is the gospel? What is the gospel that Paul preached according to the Scriptures? To first understand what the gospel is, we must first see what it is not. And there are two common misconceptions of the gospel. The first is this. I'm a good person. God loves me. He would never punish me. This is the basic idea of I go to church, I work hard, I'm pretty honest, I think I'm okay. The second is this, God could never love me. God could never accept me. You don't know what I've done, I deserve to be punished. Paul protects us from both of these false gospels right here in our text this morning. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15.3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins. Look no further than those five words to completely implode the lie Believed by the masses that you are a good person and your sin really isn't that big of a deal. Christ died for our sins. Do we really want to gaze at the brutal cross of Christ, a naked and bloody and suffering Jesus, seeing what it took to deal with our sin? Christ died for our sins. And then walk away thinking that our sin is not a catastrophic problem. Our sins are so outstandingly bad, so shocking, so appalling to God that anything less than the death of the perfect and sinless Son of God would not suffice to squinch the wrath and anger of God against you and I. You think your sin is not that big of a deal, something that we can just cover up and God will just look over and ignore? Christ died for our sins. We are not, and we never will be, good enough to be with God. No matter how hard you try, our sin is too great and He is too holy. The Scriptures tell us that our best efforts, the very best we could ever be on our own, is like filthy rags to a holy God. Good enough to be with God will never be found in us. We have to have an alien righteousness that is only found in Christ. And the Bible says that when we trust in Christ, our sins are taken away and placed upon Jesus. And in exchange, Jesus gives us his perfection. 
through faith as a free gift. Look to the cross, the bloody cross of Christ, lest you ever believe that you are good enough to make it to God on your own. Read the words of Scripture, lest you ever believe that lie that Christ died for our sins. But what about the other side of the argument, that God could never love me? God could never accept me. He don't know all the things that I've done. I deserve to be punished. I've made a mess of my life. Many people believe that forgiveness is for others and not for them. You believe that your sin is too great. You have made too big of a mess of your life for God to ever forgive you, much less want you. I want to point you to one thing, the author of our text this morning. Look at Paul, a furious, religious, angry zealot that would stop at nothing to see the lives of anyone and everyone who believed in Jesus destroyed, imprisoned, or even murdered. He stood with his arms crossed, nodding and grinning with pleasure as a great man, Stephen, was pelted with rocks until he died. He tore apart families, imprisoning fathers and husbands, the only ones that could make a living, assuring that that family would at best suffer and likely starve. A man that would refer to himself numerous times in the scriptures as the worst of all sinners. Yet still, this is who Christ chose to draw to himself to forgive him of his sins, as many as those are, and become the greatest evangelist and church planner the world has ever seen and author of half the New Testament. When Paul's describing his conversion in Timothy, he says that when the fullness of time had come, Christ came to me. We don't know how old Paul was when he got saved, but he was probably in his mid to early 30s. And he describes it as that when the fullness of time had come, that's when Christ came to me. You think about that, that why didn't Christ come to him when he was younger, before he had time to do all those terrible things? Why didn't he come sooner? I would submit that in the sovereign mind of God, there are 10,000 reasons why he allowed those terrible things to happen. But let me give you one that Paul's story is in the Bible for you. For you who think that you have messed up too much for God to ever want you. Jesus wants you to know that like Paul, your sin is not greater than his love. No matter what you have done, you will never out the love of Christ for you. So what is the gospel if it's not, I'm a good person, and if it's not, God could never love me? What is it? What is the gospel? The gospel is this. There is only one God. The God who created heaven and earth in its entirety. This infinite and almighty God 
who created all things from the single cell activity of the mitochondria to the Grand Canyon, to you and I. And it was all created for His glory. This is the God of the Bible, the ancient, forever existing God of Abraham and Isaac, the God of Moses. And this God created us in His image. We were created uniquely separate and different from all other creatures. We were made in in His image and made to be with Him, to have friendship with God Himself. And as our Creator, He has authority over us. He knows how we work best. He knows how He created us, and He created us to be in total friendship and communion with Himself. This is how we are happy. The only way to true, everlasting joy and happiness is when we are with God. Union with God, to never die, no sin, full, unhindered friendship with God forever. This is who we were supposed to be. And as part of his authority, as our creator, he says, this is how you should live. This is how you should be to act and for this purpose. Because as our creator, he knows best. But Adam, as our first father, and all of us since, have thumbed our noses at God and said, no, I know best. Not you. I know what is best for my life. We have given ourselves authority over our own lives and declared ourselves to be God. We have belittled the glory and the authority of God by believing that our way is better than His. This is the great blasphemy of the universe, perpetuated by every single human being that has ever lived, including you and I. We question His rule with the brain and the lungs that He gave us. We defy Him with the very air He gave us to breathe. And God, being holy and full of justice, simply will not allow the belittlement of his name. He will not sit back idle by as we continually mock his name, his authority, and his reign. And this, the mocking of the authority of God and saying, I know best, is the foundation of all sin. Forget you, I will live however I want. And this is the problem, and it is a massive problem that no one but us has created. We stand guilty and without any defense, all of us. And as a result, the wrath of this gracious and good Father God is pointed directly at us because we have turned our back on Him. We chose to trade friendship and perfect union with God for enmity with our Creator. Romans declares us all to be enemies of God, permanently separated from Him because of our sin. And this is the fate of all humanity, at war with God, facing His wrath and anger. And this is not a war that you and I will win. Ephesians declares with specific clarity that we, because of our sin, are all children 
of wrath. Because of our sin, we went from beloved sons of God to children of wrath. And as children of wrath, we face, all of us, death. The cost of our sin, the cost of our rebellion, is our death and eternal separation from God. Created to never die, to never be apart from our source of joy and happiness. Like Esau, who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. We traded everything God gave us for rebellion, suffering, and death. And separation from the only thing that will ever make us happy, which is God himself. We can't even survive a microscopic virus without it destroying lives in our world economy. We will never survive the wrath of Almighty God. This is the state of every human that has ever lived. And it is a perilous, inescapable position that we have put ourselves in. Void of any hope other than certain destruction. But. But Paul in Ephesians declares the greatest words we could ever read. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oh, if it weren't for the mercy of God. God in his glory and compassion and his deep love for us sent his only precious son whom he loves so greatly to earth, fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ, to live the life that you and I could never live. He was fully obedient to the Father and without sin, perfect in every way. Jesus Christ lived in perfect obedience to the Scriptures and remained without sin. Perfect union with God as we were supposed to be. And God, unable to withhold his wrath for our sin and rebellion, spares us and pours out his wrath fully upon Jesus. And he crushed his own son on the cross. The wrath of God that was aimed inescapably towards us was diverted from us and absorbed by Jesus upon the cross. And it was there upon the cross that the wrath of God for all of our sin and all of our rebellion was satisfied when it was poured out upon Jesus and it kills him. But Jesus, through the power of God, was raised from the dead. Jesus, the ultimate victor, was too great for death, too powerful to remain dead. And now that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in those of us who believe. And this is the gospel, that the wrath of God for our sin, the very sin that separates us from God, was fully poured out upon Jesus. And God's just anger towards humanity was satisfied in the punishment of the only one, Jesus, who never deserved it. 
The scriptures declare that he, Jesus, who knew nothing of sin, actually became sin so that you and I might become children of God. This is the hope of the gospel, that Jesus steps in and diverts the wrath of God for our sin upon himself and sparing us. This is the great exchange that Martin Luther talked about, that on the cross, Jesus absorbs the punishment for our sin, the punishment that we deserved. And in exchange for our sin, through faith in him, we receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus. This is the great exchange. Christ takes our sin and the wrath and death that we deserved and freely gives us his righteousness that we never earned. And now through faith in Jesus, you and I can stand before God, our sins atoned for, no longer as children of wrath, no longer as enemies of God, but as beloved children of God and heirs in the family of God because of our awesome big brother, Jesus. You and I have right standing before God, not because we are good enough, not because of our skills or our effort, not because we go to church, cuss or don't, drink or don't, but because we are justified before God because of the cross of Christ alone. Your lust your anger, your bitterness, your selfishness, you can't fix it. The cross of Jesus Christ screams so clearly to us that we cannot fix our own lives. We never have been able to and we never will. That's why we gather every Sunday and proclaim with the clearest language we know how that we do not boast in ourselves. We boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. We don't wave the banner of the journey church. We are nothing. We wave the banner of the cross of Christ. This is the gospel that Paul preached. It's the good news that we'll proclaim forever and ever until we die. That there is a God who loves you. Who passionately and relentlessly pursues you. Even to the point of crushing his own son. That you might be restored back to the way he created you to be, in friendship and communion with him. That is the gospel. We believe in Jesus. And we get all of this, the forgiveness of sin, the diversion of the wrath of God, the righteousness of Christ, eternal glory in heaven. We get all of this through faith in Jesus, not by you trying harder to be a better person, not you trying harder to fix your life, not us dragging our broke selves to church on Sunday. We get all of this through grace alone. It is the unmerited gift of God to us through faith in Jesus Christ, simply because we are unique created beings made in his image that he chooses to love. But the gospel doesn't even stop there. Perhaps the most overlooked aspect of the gospel in the evangelical world is this. The gospel is Jesus Christ himself. The great gain of the gospel is not merely forgiveness of sin and right standing before God. As unfathomably great as that is, 
The great gain of the gospel is Jesus himself. What makes the gospel gospel is that it brings a person into the everlasting and ever-increasing joy of knowing Jesus. The gospel is great not just because we receive forgiveness of sin and freedom from the wrath of God. The gospel is great not just because we avoid hell. The gospel is great not even because we get to go to heaven. As astounding as these things are, the gospel is great precisely because we get Jesus. The gospel is not merely the means that we obtain forgiveness of sin in heaven. The gospel is the means that we obtain Jesus. And that friendship with Jesus that brings us an unsearchable richness and joy that will never end and will become increasingly and infinitely greater because we will never reach the end of Jesus. We will never know enough of him. Ephesians declares that his riches are unsearchable. They are unending. That is the gospel according to the scriptures. That is the gospel that Paul preached. And 1 Corinthians 15, 11 says, So we preach and so you believe. Wherever the gospel is preached, people believe and lives are changed. Is that you today? 1 Peter 3 says that the gospel is proclaimed faithfully that dead men come alive. I pray that that is you today, that if you are spiritually dead today, I pray that the proclamation of Christ and his gospel brings you to life through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that if you are a believer here today, but your heart has grown numb to the beauty and the power of the gospel, that this proclamation of Christ crucified stirs your heart to life again. Nate, if you want to come on up, and the prayer team, if you would like to come up too. Trust today in the true gospel, the gospel preached by Paul, that you are not good enough. You cannot fix your own life. Look to the cross, that what you can't do, Christ has done for you. That through faith in the finished work of Christ, you can avoid the wrath of God and obtain infinite joy of knowing the unsearchable beauty of Jesus Christ himself. If God is calling you this morning, if your heart is pounding, come forward. I would love a chance to pray with you. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for the glory of the gospel of grace. Christianity is the only religion in the world that has justification at the front end. Everything else, every other religion in the world, you try really hard to do as little bad things as possible and do as many good things as possible. And when you die, you cross your fingers and hopefully it was enough. Christianity flips that around and says through faith in Jesus Christ, not because you're good enough, I declare you righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
that what we could never accomplish, Christ has accomplished for us. May we herald the greatness of the gospel forever and ever to the glory of Jesus Christ and God the Father. We love you, Jesus, and work amongst our midst.